Well, we're talking about the very real issue of holiday depression, and particularly I want to focus on the isolation and loneliness in this second half of the show today. But first, uh, we can touch on that stress caused by expectations and the feeling of being overwhelmed a little more. How do you handle that? Because I know we have family gatherings and people coming over, and there's some thought that it's a lot of people in a small house and people do have different personalities that play in. And Do you do anything to help you prepare for that or to handle it? Um, there are a few things. One, to pray. Um, some of it's just preparing my own spirit to be ready to face some of the people, some of the situations, just help, you know, talk through with God, this is coming up, what do I need to think about and kind of process that together with Him. Also, just to be organized, have a to-do list and try to mark stuff off, you know, regularly, those things that you really don't want to do, just try to get them out of the way. Um, Also, to step back and lower my expectations. Um, Sometimes maybe I'm trying to make too big of a meal or, you know, why don't we just order pizza? It's so much easier, you know, just to do something that eases the stress and makes things a lot, you know, simpler. That mm-hmm. thing, those are things that have helped me. Good. Well, I mean, the more people who are involved, the lower you need to put your personal expectations of meeting your dreams for the gatherings. I think that's one thing that really will help a lot of people. And particularly, I mean, you have big gatherings. That's a lot of opinions. <laughs> You're just not going to meet all of those mm-hmm. expectations. So be flexible. That's one of our missionary mantras. You know, we've had a long time to learn to be flexible. I think that's a good thought for everyone. If you're approaching the holiday and you're thinking, oh, there's just so much, it'll be flexible. Be prepared to do less. Have a, you know, simpler meals will be fine. Nobody's going to be upset. Uh, And if they are, tell them they're happy to do it next time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But be realistic. You know, lots of people with lots of opinions. That's just a huge part of it. Uh, If you're in charge, I kind of mentioned in the first half, ask for help. Delegate if you can. Don't be stubborn. You know, a lot of people, it is overwhelming, but they don't tell anybody. Well, you can let somebody know that, hey, this is a bit much for me. I'm not sure I can do this. Mm -hmm. So don't be stubborn and feel like you have to do it. There's no reward for working yourself to death in the holidays. That's just not going to help anybody. So don't do that. Be, Be willing to ask for help if you need it and to say it's just too much. Um. Well, what are the deeper issues, and particularly thinking about loneliness and isolation? You know, I was looking, and Mayo Clinic actually says uh, a lot about friendship, and there's a lot, a lot that relates to the idea of friendship that plays in here. When we think about our isolation and the loneliness, I and mean, that's just a bu- huge. I mean, epidemic is what a lot of people would say now. We've talked about it a little bit before on the show where a lot of men don't have friends. They used to have, say, in the 20s and 30s, eight or nine friends today, one or none, most people would say. So this is a huge problem. And I, I think it's true across the board. I think it's maybe worse for men, although I'm not sure that that's true. But it's a huge need that we actually have real friendships. So this article from Mayo Clinic said... Uh, there's a lot of real benefits to friendships that go beyond just that you have somebody to talk to, which that's great. <laughs> and particularly that's some of the loneliness is having somebody to talk to. Of course, being Mayo Clinic, they start with whether they're good for your health. They can help you celebrate good times and provide support, support during bad times. 
that's part of what we're thinking about here with the holidays. We mentioned people who are grieving because of a lost loved one. Well, that's where a friend can step in and say, hey, I've got a friend who's lost somebody. And to be that friend who reaches out and says, hey, you know, I'm here for you. I'm thinking about you. And sometimes that's enough that the person knows that there's somebody who cares. Um, I know my dad for years and years called one of his friends who had had a son that had died. And he just called him every Sunday morning and just talk, thinking about you, praying for you. And just that. Over time, you, you're building that relationship. It's something simple, but it's letting somebody know, hey, I'm thinking about you. I'm here for you. Yeah, just thinking as you're saying this, um, you know, if you don't cultivate friendships all throughout the year, then, yeah, maybe Christmas feels lonelier because, oh, everybody is so supposed to be happy and have the Christmas spirit and everything. You kind of have that, that expectation stronger, I think, during that time. And so if you don't do any friendship, you know, cultivating during the year, you can't really expect it just boom right at Christmas time. It reminds me of one of Chloe's songs where we keep people six feet apart, but then when you don't have anybody, it's like, well, that's what you chose. So right. um, that kind of those words come back to me, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's our choices throughout the year. Yeah. And that's what a lot of this is. It's the choices um, that we make end up coming back and they make our life easier or harder. And particularly this one with being a friend, pursuing friends, really does make the difficult times in your life easier. So friends prevent the isolation and loneliness and give you a chance to offer needed companionship too. So it's it's not just that you benefit by not being lonely and cut off from everybody, but you you actually offer that to somebody else when you're the one throughout the year that you're reaching out and at least being available. And you can't make people respond the same way people can't make you respond. You're responsible for your choice not to be part of things. But you're also one of the ones who benefits when you are part, when you do build those relationships. So it's important to do both. When you're invited, say yes, you know, be part of things but also to look around you and invite people into your life, even in little ways, mm-hmm. for a cup of coffee, for you know, a walk in the park, just to be, to be friendly. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what a lot of that boils down to. I think, too, like you have the people who feel isolated, but then there's other people who are equally alone, but the difference is they're not waiting for somebody to reach out to them. They'll just say, hey, I'm lonely. I'm going to go, hey, do you want to go out for a coffee? You know, And so then they kind of create their own isolation breaking point, mm-hmm. whereas other people are just waiting. Oh, somebody, you know, invite me to something. And it's, you know, we don't always know that the people are waiting for that. Or right. you could, you know, help yourself by just inviting somebody else out. Right. So they go on and say that, when you have friends, once you've done that effort of connecting and, and begin to build that friendship, it increases your sense of belonging and purpose. And I would say this is even more so if we think about the church and the relationships that we have in God's family. You do belong to this family. Now, you may not always feel like it, and you may choose not to be a participant in a lot of things that that family does, the same way that a lot of people's families have different get-togethers, and some people don't come. You always have that one cousin or uncle who just, he's never here. Mm. You know, you just don't know any of his kids or anything because they choose not to come. They're still part of the family, but they're just not here. They don't really 
It doesn't feel like they belong, but they do. Mm-hmm. But particularly being part of, of God's family, we do belong. Uh, and if we show up over time, everyone, you know, that sense of belonging grows. And particularly in the church family, we do have a purpose. I mean, there's a reason why we love one another. I mean, we have experienced the love of God, and that's um, shown in our relationships. So we do have that belonging and purpose. And I think that's even more so for us as, as followers of Jesus than it is for anybody else. But it's true for everybody. If you reach out and you have friends, it does help you realize, yeah, I'm part of something bigger than just my little um, living room and, you know, my cat. <laughs> it boosts your happiness and reduce your stress. And this is talking through things. One of the things that a lot of people uh, get out of friendships is a second opinion. People who don't talk through their choices often make terrible choices. And you go, how in the world did they decide that? They obviously didn't talk to anybody because everyone else in their life can see that was a bad choice, but they didn't tell anybody. Um, having that friend that you're, you're actually talking about the real things of life with can help you reduce your stress because you make fewer really dumb choices. And that's a good thing. <laughs> it can improve your self-confidence and self-worth. And that's part of the Mayo Clinic's focus. I say it can help you be healthier um, mentally. You know, you feel good about yourself when you have a friend that they actually like you and enjoy being around you. Um, it can help you ho- cope with traumas, whether that's uh, loss of a, a loved one or an illness. You know, you have other people who are there with you. I think that's important. And it can encourage you to change um, unhealthy lifestyle habits or Thinking spiritually, you know, we have the constant need to change and grow in Christ-likeness, and a good friend is going to be someone who's going to be open and honest with us and kind of draw us together toward Christ. Say, hey, I'm, I'm trying to grow and change to become more like Jesus. Uh, do you want to do this with me? Whether that's, hey, I'm thinking about uh, starting a Bible memory program. Would you be interested in helping me do that and doing that with me? Or, hey, I'm interested in doing a Bible reading program. I'm going to try to read through the Bible in the next year. Would you be interested in doing that with me? Um, there are lots of different things. Here's a book I'm going to read. And would you like to get together and read it and talk about it? By having those kind of conversations, you're getting to know someone else really well because you're, you're struggling through something together. But you're also, you're pointed outward. You're not toward each other. You're pointed toward Christ. And I think that's a really healthy thing. So be that person in someone's life where you say, hey, I'm, I'm trying to make steps toward Jesus. And here's something that I'm going to try to do. Would you be interested in doing it with me? And everybody won't say yes. But some people will. And I think if you continually be that person in other people's lives, that helps them not be that person who is isolated and cut off and lonely because you spend enough time with them with you know what their options are and you know what their plans are and you've talked those things. And you get to know them well enough that you're comfortable inviting them to come to your house with your family for Easter, for Thanksgiving. Um, it's part of building that relationship. It's not too hard to do something like that because it's kind of a limited time. You know, it's like, let's redo this book or let's do this project. So it might be less overwhelming to see it as just a short term. And it may grow into something longer term, but at least you would be investing Mm -hmm. and getting to know the person Mm -hmm. really well during that time. Right. So they go on and say... um, Adults with strong social connections have a reduced risk of many significant health problems, and they include depression under that high blood pressure, uh, unhealthy BMI, 
<laughs> I'm not sure how that helps. I think a lot of friends get together and eat, so maybe that's not so helpful. If your preferred method of getting together with your friend is to go have donuts. So maybe don't do that. <laughs> so it also says that older people who have close relationships tend to live longer than peers who have fewer connections. So uh, all that's um, different things that came out of this Mayo article on friendship. My summary or kind of a takeaway from that is as we approach the holidays and you're one of those people who, who tends maybe to stick to yourself and be alone, accept invitations. You know, there are lots of things going on around the holidays. Um, most churches have Christmas programs. There, there are different groups putting on, whether it's caroling or concert. Mm -hmm. There are all kinds of events, whether the city puts it on, the church puts it on, your family's getting together, accept invitations. Uh, get out and be willing to go to dinner with somebody you don't know that well. That's a great chance to get to know somebody. And if you absolutely hate it, you don't have to go out with that person again. But at least make that effort. If you're one of those people who tend to, to stay at home and, and prefer to do nothing, accept some invitations. Uh, and maybe go further. And if you're one of those people who you're already, you feel like you're pretty comfortable, but look around you and look at the people who you might want to invite into your life. You know, coffee, lunch, dinner, walk in the park, uh, to go to a concert, to go to a Christmas program. Invite people. Uh, there are people who, who need that. So be that person and accept invitations. I mean, that's just huge. If you are invited and you don't go, then yeah, you're probably going to be isolated in the long run if you continually say no to invitations. So you, you can't be that kind of person. So look for those community events and take part. And when you take part, there's three things I would say. Be available, be kind, be a good listener. Those three things are a lot of uh, developing friendships. I mean, if you're there, you're available. If you're kind, most people are going to kind of at least not hate being around you. And if you're a good listener, most people love you because most people love to talk about themselves. <laughs> so uh, be, be available, be kind, be a good listener. And if show up and you'll, um, you probably will benefit in the long run. I did want to look at a, a couple of verses just thinking about the idea of friendship and, and some of our attitudes and mindset. Romans 12, 9 to 13 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. So you have here a picture of what it means to be a Christ follower in the world. Uh, and this foundation of loving other people is a big part of that. So God reached out to me when I was unlovable and loved me and has over time continually taught me and is teaching me what it means to love and be loved that's what we're supposed to practice with other people. And it's not easy because it's not natural, I don't think, for humans. We typically love selfishly. And what God does is love unselfishly. And what we're learning, part of our maturity in Christ-likeness, is to learn to love unselfishly. I think that's incredibly hard for us. I think even a lot of times we have relationships where we'd like to think that it's unselfish, but we tend to still, I don't know, it just seems like we tend to fall back on a kind of a selfish Mm -hmm. love for other people 
when you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was reminded this week in my Bible reading that love is the fruit of the Spirit, and to really love somebody else, I really need His help to, to be filled by Him to enable me to love like God wants me to because mm-hmm. it's just not in me. <laughs> yeah, it's not natural. No. We're, we're naturally selfish and argumentative and like to be right and appreciated and all those things. And love is, I, I love this particular passage because well, verse 10 is the one that we love. So be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. Um, that's hard for us, but it's a real test of maturity and it's a challenge. You know, there's things that I do maybe physically because I, I want the challenge. I don't want to be lazy. So, you know, I've done running things or sometimes, you know, with the kids, we've done different exercise challenges to do something that I need to exercise and be in good shape. So that's helpful. But to accept a challenge that's just a little bit uncomfortable. And I think that's what this is, to give preference to one another. Um, that's a challenge. I mean, that's a real challenge. It's something to strive for. You know, you don't reach that on your own. It does take God working in you and the Holy Spirit drawing you. And that example of, you know, say, what does that look like? Well, okay, we have a really good picture of that. Think about how Jesus responded to people. Think about what he did on the cross. Okay, what does it mean to prefer other people? Well, he didn't choose this whole life for himself. Mm -hmm. None of it was for himself. So he walked miles and miles. Uh, He went to the cross. I that wasn't for himself. That was preferring other people. That was doing something that was completely 100%. None of it was for himself. So how do we do that? Or how often do we do that? What you know, minor percentage? Usually we are willing to give a little bit as long as it doesn't cost us too much. Mm-hmm. And we can help when it's easy, but we're not willing to prefer other people when it costs us something. So to me, that's part of my struggle to get out of selfishness and doing what I want is how uncomfortable am I willing to be for someone else? And that's just hard to do, but it's something to strive for. And it's easier to do things. I mean, I know love is not just an emotion. It's the actions that you do, but sometimes you can feel like you're okay just doing the actions like, okay, I love that person. I'm free. But one verse that really hits me hard is Ephesians 4.32. And I mean, it's, we say that one a lot, but the part that hits me is that tenderhearted, be tenderhearted towards somebody. And you can't do that, you know, you can't make that up because that's, that's the heart, you know. How do you be tenderhearted to everybody and to those people that annoy you or demand things from you? It's like... That is the part that drives you to God because I can do a loving action, a loving action here and there, but to have that tender-hearted heart that is only from God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of in verse ten it says, "Be kindly affectionate." Yeah, you know, I think that's that similar idea where it's it's difficult to to do that. I mean, you just you don't do that on your own. Mm-hmm. That's God changing us from moment to moment. And I like it. It says, you know, giving preference to one another in verse 11, not lagging in diligence. And it's interesting because a lot of people try to say that, you know, there's nothing that we're, we can do. We just, it's all God. And we just leave it in, in his hands. And 
That's true. However, the New Testament consistently tells us that we are to give effort and apply diligent effort to these things. So yes, God is the one that does it. We recognize that completely, but it's kind of like the example I often use where Paul tells Timothy, you know, apply effort to these things so that others will see your progress. And he's saying, Timothy, not that you just sit back and don't do anything and God's going to take care of it and you'll be changed over time. I mean, that's true. I, I believe that God does that. He tells Timothy, okay, we know this is true. However, from your standpoint as a person who needs to be changed, apply effort to this real effort, so much effort that others will see that you're making effort and making progress. And I think that's part of this idea that you're not lagging in diligence. You're, you're not being lazy about it. You're intentionally pursuing what God is doing in your life. So it's, it's wanting what God wants mm-hmm. as much as God wants it. And I think sometimes we don't want it as much, so we're not willing to work for it. But this is, to me, it's that idea that I, I want what God wants for me and I want it as much as I can. It's interesting because I was just reading this same passage in another translation, and it made it, instead of not lagging in diligence, it was not slothful in zeal. And I think we've been talking at church about evangelism, and I feel like that's kind of um, relative you know, to that too. Like, you can be zealous to reach out to somebody with the gospel, but then over time you're just busy and you forget that, wow, you know, without people accepting the gospel, they are lost. And you you kind of let that zeal lag and you have to keep nurturing that. And some people just seem to have it in spades, like they're always zealous and maybe they're the people that have the gift of evangelism and they witness and people get saved right, right and left. But then there's others that just, you know, are planting seeds, but you can lose that zeal. And maybe it's not only in gospel, you know, witnessing, but other areas as well. Yeah. I think it's the same as, you know, it's the zeal in pursuing Christ. So like that, I, um, illustration we have of pursue God and, you know, flee useful lusts and pursue godliness that, Pursuit is a, a zealous pursuit. It's, you know, love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's zealously pursue Christ and godliness and this change that he's working in, his, in our lives. So I think it's that the same thing here. It's just fervent in spirit. You know, it's that fervency that I'm, I, and it is fervent in spirit. It's God's, God's Holy Spirit is fervent for the glory of God and fervent for that to be revealed in our life. Uh, the problem is we're not so fervent for that. Uh, we're a little more cautious and not willing to to lose something. So we want to know what the results are going to be before we're willing to pursue. And I think, particularly when you look at the early church, I mean, they pursued with abandon. Um, that's where they were selling property and just, you know, it was amazing, beautiful thing. So, well, that's not practical over the centuries, you know, everybody can't just sell everything. But that, that fervency, I think, is what we've lost um, and what we don't want to, to lose. We want to have that. Yeah, and having good Christian friends can help keep that alive, I think, mm-hmm. and yeah, even just help us as we look at other people around mm-hmm. this time of year. So I also wanted to look at First uh, Peter 4, 8 to 11. It says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. 
As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So here we have again that fervent love for one another. Um, be hospitable to another, one another without grumbling. And that's one of the things that we are quick to do, particularly on the holidays. You know, it's, it's easy to hear complaints, but to be hospitable, to love people, and to be able to serve without complaining. And a lot of that is it's selfish. You know, it's, I'm, I feel like I'm wasting my time, so I want to complain about it or grumble because I have to do this, even though they're not going to appreciate it. You know, there's all these reasons why we might grumble, and they're not helpful. It's not helpful to have that attitude. And in the context of the church, and I think in the context of our family and our community and all of those, it, it's similar. God has placed you here and now uh, for a purpose, and you're, we, we sing the song, This is a Light of Mine, I'm going to Let It Shine. Your light is dimmed, I think, when we grumble and complain. You know, when we serve and that fruit of the Spirit, the joy, the love and joy of the Spirit is exhibited, then that light's a little brighter. But when we grumble, it's like putting a lid on it. It's like, well, I'm serving, but I'm not enjoying it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, That's part of this whole discussion of being a friend to other people. You know, we're, we're given a light we're given an opportunity to be part of someone else's uh, life in some way, and maybe a small way, maybe one conversation. But in that one conversation, do they remember it primarily as, oh, you're complaining about the same things that they're complaining about? That's not necessarily helpful. Or does it stand out as that your conversation points them toward hope? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we would all benefit from stopping and considering, am I really pursuing God my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and my hope really is Him, so that I can see beyond today's struggles, and then that's revealed in my conversations. Because then when I'm out and I'm having those conversations with people, maybe I am relieving their loneliness and isolation a little bit because I'm pointing them toward real hope and the hope of a real family in eternity where you're never alone. I don't know, it's a lot to process. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just true that people are always busy. Uh, Christmas is another time when they're busy, more so than normal. They're busy during the holiday season. But it's almost hard to imagine that you can be more busy because <laughs> people are just it's like running around all the time. If you can slow down and be available to people around you, um, this holiday season, I encourage you to, to be that spark of light that someone else needs. You know, they, they are potentially lonely or they're just too busy and they're not lonely and they'd like to be alone a little bit and they just need a little hope that this is going to end well, that they're going to be fine. Um, try to find out, get to know someone well to know what they need. Maybe they need space, maybe they need an invitation, but love them enough to care and have that godly curiosity. And join me this year and let's try to show radical love to those around us to reach out and be that spark of light that they need. Thanks for joining me today. Let me know what you're doing during the holiday season to keep your 
spark alive. If you have any questions or comments about today's show, you can email me at norman at runwithhorses.net or look up the Run With Horses podcast Facebook page. Until next time, keep running.